Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So, I have a question. What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, there's some easy answers to that, right? There's things that we believe, like put your faith in Jesus and those kind of things. And we talk about those things often, so there are beliefs that are very, very important. But sometimes we have more practical questions of like, okay, so, yeah, but what does a Christian do? Right? Okay, we believe these things, but what does a Christian do? Okay, so then we can give like a good church answer. Well, they go to church, they read the Bible, they pray. Yeah, all those things are part of it. But what about, what do we do as a, what does a Christian do when they're not, at church or when they're not reading the Bible or when they're not doing this or that. What does a Christian do? So my hope is today that we walk away with a better um, idea of that, a better answer to that, and and kind of a day-to-day practical thing of how do we live out our faith? How does it impact us in the way we interact with people, in the way we interact with the community around us? What does a Christian do? And so we're going to look at Jesus and what he did. I want to do what Jesus did, right? I want to live the way that he lived. I want to care for people and love people and serve people, right? And I think that's a pretty good example and a pretty good place for us to start, right? You with me? You agree with that? Like, we want to say, okay, what did Jesus do? And how can we seek to interact with people and serve people and care for people in that way, right? So the main thing that I want us to see this morning is this, that following Jesus is marked by childlike faith and servant humility, Childlike faith and servant humility. We're continuing this morning in our series called Follow Jesus as we go through the book of Mark. Um, you're welcome. So we just, on the back table there, the connect table there, I think there's three left. That's um, just an individual gospel of Mark. You're welcome to have one of those. Take it. It's free if you don't already have one. It's just the gospel of Mark. It's really like beautifully presented and all that. So you're welcome to take that and read along with us as we go through the book of Mark. This morning we're in chapter 10, um, but you're welcome to read along as we go through this whole process of seeing who is Jesus? What did he do? How do we follow him? And so this morning, we won't get to everything in Mark chapter 10. And so that's where you can take that home and read it on your own time, talk about it in community groups, talk about it in discipleship groups of ways that we can continue to follow Jesus. So before we kind of jump in and read some of our scripture, I want to give us a little bit of background and and some context. So Jesus talks a lot in the book of Mark. He talks a lot about the kingdom of God. We've talked about this before, and I've described this as, so you can describe the kingdom of God as the rule and reign of Jesus as king and his work in the world to redeem and deliver a people for himself, both right now and in the future. Okay, so that's a lot of words altogether that I just said, a big, long string of words. But the rule and reign of Jesus, so the kingdom of God is anywhere Any life, any place where Jesus is recognized as king, any person that says, Jesus, I put my faith in you, you are my king, right? That's where the kingdom of God is. And so Mark talks about this often. But what what we'll see this morning, the disciples, the guys following Jesus, they didn't always understand this. They didn't always get this, that the kingdom of God had something to do with the heart, had something to do with what God was doing in the future with the spiritual kingdom that God was building. So we have to remember the situation that they were in. Their country 
country, the, the nation of Israel and Judah, those places, was part of the Roman Empire, occupied by Roman leaders, Roman officials, Roman military. And this caused all kinds of political problems and issues, and there were a continual string of people who rose up. If you read, like, Jewish history, there was a continual, like, people who said, hey, I can rescue us from the Romans. I can, like, do this and hey everybody follow me and we're going to go and we're going to we're going to free ourselves we're going to liberate ourselves from roman occupation and they tried to free israel from the control of the romans because the jewish people were waiting for a messiah they were waiting for someone to come and save them and to rescue them and many people thought this would be like a military takeover or a rebellion against the man right the romans like um, and they they were waiting for a for someone to come and conquer and drive out the Romans from their nation. Same way that anyone would, right? If someone's occupying your country, you want to say, hey, we don't want this. We want to be our own country. We want to, so that's what was happening here. And so when we read our passage today, we see the things that Jesus says about the kingdom of God and about how he functions, we can see how the disciples in many ways would have been confused and would have been like, wait a minute, Jesus. We're following you. We thought you were going to like free us from the Romans. We thought you were going to do all these things and conquer and all these things, and they were waiting to see what Jesus would do. They were looking for Jesus to do things the way that we as humans would do them, for Jesus to come with power, to take over, to dominate, to win, right? We like winners. We say we like underdogs, but we really like when our team wins, right? Okay, all that, right? But this is not how Jesus works, Because the kingdom of God is upside down. It functions differently than we think. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come in power and to dominate. Jesus came in humility. His kingdom is not about power, but about serving. So Mark chapter 10 tells us that entering the kingdom of God requires childlike faith. And that those who follow Jesus will give up control and live with servant humility just as Jesus did. So as we go through the sermon, I kind of, for me anyways, you may not know the difference, but as I prepared the sermon, I think I have a little slightly different approach this morning. Um, so we're going to go through um, Mark chapter 10 and look at like four different, um, I'll say they're, I'll call them case studies, four different case studies, four different groups of people or people in this passage and see how the way that they lived, see how that teaches us and impacts the way that we follow Jesus. So we'll look at these four different sections of the chapter as we go along, all right? So in every one of these cases, we'll see this, that following Jesus is marked by childlike faith and servant humility, all right? You guys awake? You with me? You ready to go? Okay, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and if you don't, you're welcome to read it off the screen as well. So Mark chapter 10, the first case study we see is the children, Right? And so I'm going to read um, verses 13 through 16, and it says this. Jesus, the context here, Jesus is teaching people and talking with people. And it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You can see how this would be upside down. That if they are waiting for a Messiah to come in power, a conquering king, and yet this Messiah, Jesus, is saying, no, kids are important. Let the kids come to me. So as Jesus is teaching, people are walking up and they're like, yeah, go go see Jesus. Like I, I picture, I don't know if Jesus was standing or sitting, I don't really know. But parents are coming and they're like sending their kids up to see Jesus. This was not normal. 
right? Because in the first century, kids did not have a very high standing in society. If you're a kid in the room this morning, I'm sorry to say, if you'd lived in the first century, you were not very important as society went, right? So, but track with me. It's okay. Kids, they were to be seen and not heard, right? They were to do what they were told. Now, here's the reality. If you're a kid in the room, I apologize. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other kids, right? Kids are sticky. They are stinky. They are loud. They are messy. They are needy. They say whatever comes to their minds, even in the wrong situations, right? If you've ever been with a kid, like in a grocery store or something, like a little kid, three, four, five, sometimes they'll just say things You're like, you can't say that, right? Okay? It happens. They have runny noses. This is life. This is kids, right? They, it was not normal for kids to run up to an important person and just hang out with him. And Jesus, in this setting, Jesus was seen as an important person. First of all, he was an adult. Secondly, he was a teacher. He was considered a rabbi. And for these kids to run up to him was not normal. And so the disciples, you know, they're like, hey, back off, kids. You're not supposed to be here. Get out of here, crazy kids. You don't know. Like, don't you know who this is? This is Jesus. He's important. He's teaching, and you are being a distraction. Get out of here, right? And so maybe we, like, you read it, and like, in some, like, settings, you'd expect Jesus to be like, yes, please calm down. I'm teaching, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he's angry with the disciples. He's like, guys, back off, right? You're missing the point because the kingdom of God is not about power. The kingdom of God is entered into through childlike faith. And instead of even saying, like, it's okay, it's okay, they're here, he actually takes it even further and says, no, you need to have faith. And as he's talking to this crowd around him, his disciples and the other, people, the other people there, you need to have faith like these kids. And Jesus, the very Son of God, invites kids to sit with him, to be near him. And as society went, these kids could offer him nothing. They couldn't give him power or money or prestige was actually the opposite. They kind of made him look bad, right, to other people. Other people are like, what is he doing with these kids, right? But Jesus teaches the people around him that day that the kingdom of God is entered into by childlike faith. That following Jesus is marked by childlike faith and servant humility. So that's our first case study. The kids, they come, and you'd expect Jesus to send them away, but Jesus welcomes them and points to them as an example. Our second case study this morning, the rich young man, right? If you, if you, someone that's been around church, you may be familiar with this story. If not, you may not be, but this story goes like this, and we see, we see this in verses 17 through 31, and I'm going to kind of summarize it. You can read the story sometime on your own, but Jesus, can, as Jesus kind of continues on his journey, he's teaching with the kids. It kind of makes it seem like he gets up, and they're walking along. He's continuing on his journey, and a man comes running up to him. Now, have you ever been walking down the street in Montreal and a man come running up to you? It's usually probably not going to be a good scenario, or you don't really know what's happening in the scenario. It can usually be a little strange, like, dude, what do you want? Like, I don't have any money. I get asked probably two or three times a month, hey, do you have a lighter? I'm like, no, sorry, I don't have a lighter. So, like, this podcast, this sermon's being recorded, so I'll just, like, go on record to everyone in Montreal, I don't have a lighter, I'm sorry, you know, like... But, but, like, maybe I should get one. Maybe that'd be a great way to start conversations. Yeah, I got a lighter. Hey, you want to talk? I'll tell you about Jesus, right? I don't know. But often people are like, hey, you got a lighter? No, I don't. Sorry. Anyways, but if someone walks up to you on the street, it can be a little bit odd. So this man comes running up to Jesus. When we look at the story, right, he's described as the rich young man. Like, 
hey, those are some good adjectives to have in front of your name. I'm rich, I'm young, man, whatever. But, right, he's, he's got, it seems like you got a picture of this guy who's got everything going for him, right? And some other places or other parts of Scripture, he's called the rich young ruler, meaning like he had power, he had authority, he had, he had influence in society. So he runs up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives kind of a strange response. He says, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your parents. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know the law, keep the law. I think Jesus is kind of like feeling out how serious this guy is. Like he, the guy come running up and Jesus is like, yeah, you know, you know what to do. You know how to do this, right? But Jesus is kind of seeing if this conversation is going to go further. And so the guy says, yeah, I've done all that. Since I was young, I've done all those things. And it says, Jesus looks at him and lovingly, Jesus lovingly looks at him and says, you lack one thing. He tells the man, this rich young man, he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man in the story walks away, basically says, I can't do that. And he walks away. Jesus says, here's, here's the way that you can follow me. And he walks away, not able to do that. And so when we look at this story here, and I don't think that it's about selling all our stuff. I think it's about the man's heart. This man found his security and his identity in his wealth and in his status. And in order to follow Jesus, was he willing to give it away? Sadly, he was not. He was not willing to release the control. He chose to hang on to his wealth, to hang on to his social standing. And you read verse 31 in this passage, and it says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus puts this at the end of this section. He says this, kind of summing this up, saying, hey, this guy seemed to be looking for a way to get ahead, a way to kind of like insulate his life and make it all a little bit better. He was not willing to release control on the things in his life that had become more important to him than following Jesus, than obedience to God. So lots of people, th- lots of people who think that they have it all figured out on their own will come to realize that they have missed the point. And many who have humbly followed Jesus, will be given a place of honor. We look at this story. The man says, I can't give it up. I want to hold on to my power. I want to hold on to my my wealth, my possessions. Jesus says, this is not the way of the kingdom. Because the way of the kingdom is many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. We've said already, the kingdom of God is upside down. That's what Jesus is pointing at. He's like, you guys are stuck on these human power structures, these human ways of having power and authority, but the kingdom of God is upside down. It's not for the strong. It's not for the powerful. Following Jesus is giving up control and handing it to Jesus, handing it to him. So in our second case study, we see a man who heard the way and yet wanted to hold on to his power and authority. Our third case study. Is everyone awake? You with me? Good. Here we go. Our third case study is two guys named James and John. Now, James and John were two of the disciples who followed Jesus. I'm going to read um, in verses 35. We'll read verses 35 through 37. It says this, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Jump down to verse 41. And when the ten heard it, 
they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, uh, I'm going to read that later. Sorry. So verse 41. So here's what's happening. James and John, these two disciples, they were following Jesus. They were part of the 12 who followed him. They kind of sidled up to Jesus one day like, hey, Jesus, right? Um, they're trying to like manipulate the situation here. And they're basically trying to sweet talk Jesus into getting the best seat. And they walk up and they say, hey, Jesus, we're going to ask you something and we want you to say yes. We want you to do whatever it is you ask for us. Right? Have you ever had that situation? Like someone's like, hey, do you promise you'll say yes if I ask you a question? It's like, I don't know. What are you going to ask me, right? So, but Jesus, he's like, what do you want to ask me, right? So they come up. They say, hey, we want you to do whatever you ask, whatever we ask of you. And they ask Jesus. They come up and they say, Jesus, we want to sit at the right, at your right side and at your left side one day when you're in heaven, when you're in glory. We want to be in those places. And what they were asking for, they were asking for places of honor and prestige. And the other disciples, when you jump down to verse 41, the other disciples, they hear this. They're like, hey, did you hear what James and John are asking for? Like, they're trying to wiggle their way into being, like, in the best seat in the house. And they're not happy. They're angry. They're like, who do these guys think they are? We're all following Jesus here. Why does it have to be this way? What it is is that James and John have the wrong idea about Jesus. They are still thinking about power, about control. They're trying to manipulate the situation, and they're trying to play politics. Like, hey, if we ask him early, if we ask first, right? If you've ever been, like, as a kid, like, if you yell shotgun, you get to sit in the front seat, right? That's kind of what they're doing. They're like, hey, shotgun, I get to sit here, right? I get to be in the best spot. Because that's how the world works. That's how the humans, that's how we function, the humans. <laughs> Us, not someone else. Um, right. Anyways, I'm laughing at my own jokes up here, so thank you very much, right? That's how the world works. That it matters who you know. It matters what titles or position people have. And often it, it doesn't matter how you got there or what you have to do to stay there, but it matters that you have those things. This is the way of the world. This is the way that we often function. James and John here are trying to set themselves up for the future to get kind of on the inside and be like where they want to be. And Jesus takes what they're asking and he turns it into a teaching moment with them. It brings us here to our final case study, which is Jesus, right? This is the good churchy answer. Case study number four is Jesus. To see how he responded to this situation of these guys wanting to have the best seat in the house. And so while the, in this fourth section here, while the disciples are arguing, and trying to get to the front of the line with Jesus, Jesus begins to explain to them that the way of the king, how the, what, the way the kingdom of God works. And he flips it complete, completely upside down. Let's read verses 42 through 45. And Jesus is talking. He says, Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus takes this conversation and flips it upside down. And he explains to these disciples. He says, guys, you know how power and authority and leadership, you know how those work in the world. 
He says, you look at the outside world. He says, he refers to the Gentiles. He's talking about the Romans. He's talking about these other people around them, saying, you know how they function. You know how their power and their authority works. It says they lord it over them. It's this idea of like they dominate. They rule with an iron fist. What they say goes, and you could probably lose your head if you don't do what they say. They come down hard on people. They overpower people. And Jesus is making a point. This is the way the world views power and position. If you have the power, you can dominate other people. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of the kingdom of God. We recently, as uh, the Renaissance staff, we watched this video, and this guy was talking about this. When you look in the Gospels, Jesus, like, crushed this, like, there was this gap of power. People who had power and people who didn't. Jesus kind of, like, crushed it and flipped it upside down and said, no, power is for those who are humble. Power goes to the weak. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus is saying this, if you want to become great, be a servant. If you want to be first, become as if you are a slave. Because in the kingdom of God, to be significant is to be a servant. To be significant is to be a servant. We look at verse 45 again. I'm going to read this one more time. And Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of us like to be served? Right? It's a, it's a good thing. Right? Sit down. Hey, bring me something. Do this. You know, some food. Like, whatever. We all like to be served. But Jesus himself is saying, I didn't come that way. I came in humility. Jesus did not come to earth to build his own kingdom, like his own like earthly kingdom. He didn't come to dominate. He didn't come to overthrow governments. He didn't come to hold all the power in an earthly scale. He didn't come to be served. Jesus, as the Son of God, could have come and said, everybody look at me, do exactly what I want. I'm going to be in this like elaborate like mansion, and you come to me, and I'll teach you wonderful things, right? No, Jesus came to serve. He came with sacrificial love to give his life for you and I. This passage says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? A ransom is a price paid to release a captive or seized, or like if somebody steals something from you, they're like, no, you can get it back if you pay me, right? This is a ransom. In dying on the cross, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you and I. He died to pay the price that we owed. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, we deserve death. But Jesus paid the price to rescue us, to ransom us. That we were held in the grip of sin with no way out. But the good news is this, Jesus paid our ransom to rescue us from the grip of sin, to rescue us out of darkness. Jesus paid our ransom. And when we put our faith in Jesus, our sin is removed, our guilt is removed, and our debt is paid, right? What's, this set? The, the, what's that mean? The wages of sin is death. It means that our sin, what we deserve from that is judgment. But Jesus paid that debt. He said, I'll take the judgment that you deserve. I'll take it upon myself. And Jesus has paid our ransom. He did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. If you, if you glance over, if you've got your Bible open, verses 32 through 34, I'll summarize it. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, this is why I came. 
And he tells them, here's what's about to happen, right? He says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We'll see that in the coming weeks where Jesus is heading all through the book of Mark. Like literally geographically, they're heading towards Jerusalem where Jesus would give his life. And Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be put to death on a cross. And three days later, I will rise again. This was his mission. He came to die for you and I. He came as a servant and he came to die a sacrificial death so that broken people just like you and I can have a way into a relationship with God. This is the depth of the love of God for us that Jesus, the Son of God, would come as a servant. Of all people who could have come in power and authority, it would have been Jesus. And yet Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus willingly humbled himself and became human, took on flesh. He emptied himself, is what the scripture says, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that he came and died for you and I. So we look back at these four different case studies. The children approached Jesus with childlike faith, and they were welcomed for it. The rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he was not willing to give up his position or his possessions. James and John thought that they could get themselves into a position of power, but they were missing the point. And then we see Jesus, that he came as a servant. He came to sacrifice himself for others. In Jesus, we see the way of the kingdom of God, because following Jesus is marked by childlike faith and servant humility. So let's look at, we've seen seen all those things. Let's look at what these can mean in our lives as individuals and really as a church corporately this morning. First of all, that we are called to live with childlike faith, right? It's very clear in scripture here. Jesus says, do that. Be like these kids, right? What do kids do? Kids run up to Jesus. I mean, in the story, they ran up to Jesus. They just wanted to be near him. May our faith be like that, that we just say, God, I just want to be near you. I want to know you. I want to trust you. And so ask yourself this morning, am I living with childlike faith? Is this how we are approaching God? Because to live with childlike faith is to run to Jesus with humility, with expectation, with trust. Right? When my kids run up and ask me for something, they ask with an expectation that, hey, my dad loves me, he cares for me, I hope he gives me what he's asking for. I may or may not give it, right? But they ask with an expectation, they ask with trust. Childlike faith means that we follow him, not to gain power or prestige, but simply because we want to be near him. That's what childlike faith looks like. That we don't just say, yeah, Jesus seems like a good idea. I'd like to add that to my life. Maybe it'll make, that'll make my life better, make me more like whatever. And yet childlike faith says, I just want Jesus. I don't care about anything else. I don't care what I look like. I don't care any of that. I want to be near him. Right? And you think about the rich young ruler. How would that story have changed if the rich young ruler had lived with childlike faith? Right? He would have trusted Jesus. He would have been willing to give up everything. He would have been willing to say, yeah, Jesus, whatever you say, here you go. I want to be near you. I want to follow you. This is what childlike faith looks like. It's being willing to trust Jesus when it doesn't make sense. Willing to believe in the goodness and the power of God even when we don't see it. This is childlike faith. It's not childish. It's not immature. God is not calling us to be immature, but God is calling us to say, have a faith that is pure, that is simple, that truly just trusts in the power and the greatness of God. 
That's what childlike faith looks like. Why? Because this is how we enter the kingdom of God. Not by power, not by position, not by manipulating, not by doing everything right, but by running to Jesus with a humble and simple faith and a trust in the greatness and the power of God. This is what we talk about the gospel, the message of Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way to enter in the kingdom of God except through faith. And that's what childlike faith looks like. Because if it was up to us, we would say, you've got to do X, Y, Z, and if you do it better than everybody else, then hopefully God will love you and accept you and you'll be all good. That's the way that we would think. Like the most powerful, whoever holds the most money and all these things, then they're the ones that they, they've made it. And yet the kingdom of God is upside down. Jesus points to a child that simply says, I trust you. And we put our faith in Jesus. And a simple childlike faith is when we are brought into the kingdom of God. Live with childlike faith. Search your heart. Ask God to show you where are the places where I'm trying to manipulate, I'm trying to figure it out on my own, I'm trying to run my own life. Where can I say, Jesus, I just need to trust you. I just need to trust you like a child would trust you. Secondly, live with servant humility. If we want to be like Jesus, we will live with servant humility. I said this a minute ago. In the kingdom of God, to be significant is to be a servant. To put others ahead of ourselves. To willingly, joyfully, sacrificially serve people. So think about your own life and start small, right? Are you serving your family? Are you serving the people that you live with? Or are you expecting to be served? If you're married, how can you outserve each other? If you have roommates, how can you serve people even when they leave messes, right? If you're married, how can you serve people even when they leave messes, right? <laughs> I'm going to wink at my own wife. Uh oh, I just got a death stare from Abby. She doesn't leave messes. Um, it's it's all me. All right, um, I'm digging a hole. Can I please? All right, are you serving the people that you live with? Are you serving your neighbors? Start small. Like I don't have it figured out, but I try to do little things. Like we like my our neighbors. Like we share. Like we have the same like trash dumpster. When it's trash day, I try to go out there and pull everything out. Those are, like, how can we serve people? How can we show people that we care? Serve your neighbors, the people you work with, your friends, your church family. Are you willing to serve people? Are you willing to serve the people who annoy you? Are you willing to serve the people that you annoy? <laughs> if they want to be served, right? But we need to live as servants. Jesus came to serve, and when we serve people, we look like Jesus. I want us to think about this as a church. Let me give, you may be aware of this. Let's give a brief, a very, very brief church history, right? That when we look in the book of Acts, you see the church didn't have cultural power. They had no standing. They were actually like, like pushed to the side and they were persecuted and all these things. The church did not start in like cultural power. And as the years went on, about 300 years later, the church, the church actually got some cultural power. Like Constantine, the emperor at the time, said, we are a Christian kingdom, right? And what happened when you look all through church history, problems started when the church had this, like, cultural power. 
What does that mean for us? I think, I think it's what it means. The church did not start in power. I don't think that as Christians, I don't think we're meant to have cultural power. We're supposed to influence the darkness. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. We're supposed to show people what it means to follow Jesus. But we are meant to serve. We are not here to take from our community, but to give back to it. We are called to live for the good of the city. The reality is that we are the minority. Culturally, we are weak. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to not have power and authority. It's okay to not have those things. Because we don't have to be on top. We are not entitled to anything. And we don't have to have our rights We don't like to hear that, do we? And yet, if we're going to follow Jesus, we are here to serve. We are here to come and say, we want to point you to Jesus, and we want to serve and give back. But why? Why do we not have to have those things? Because we are part of a different kingdom. We are not worried about building and maintaining an earthly kingdom. The kingdom that we are building cannot be shaken. And Jesus, as the humble servant is now the conquering king and will one day return in power. And our hope is in that day, not in protecting ourselves today. As hard as that is to hear, this right here, the life that's in front of us, is not all there is. And that's good news. Because if it was, we'd be like, this is rough sometimes. But our hope, our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in a kingdom that's now that God is working in our hearts, but it's also not yet, that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus will come and will one day be the conquering king, ruling over everything, that his kingdom will reign. If we want the people around us to see Jesus, then we will be a church that serves, a church that's generous. We want to be known as a generous church, God has opened doors. God has allowed us to do that already in some ways. Things like our sound system and things like that, that we've been able to let, th- let them be used for things in the community. There's been times we've been able to donate towards things in the community. We want to be a church that is generous. That's why we talk about giving, that we give out of obedience to God, and your generosity in financial giving allows us to be generous to the community. Your generosity with your time, with your possessions, with all all of us as a church family, allows us as a church to serve and be generous and to come and approach this city and this neighborhood and say, we're here to learn, we're here to serve, we're here to help people see that Jesus is the way to life. We want to be a church that gives itself away just like Jesus did. And when we do that, it enables us to proclaim the message of Jesus through our actions, which allows us to proclaim the message of Jesus through our words. That when people see people who are humble, people who are serving, people who are willing to give themselves away, people are far more open to listen to the message of Jesus. Following Jesus is marked by childlike faith and servant humility. Think back to those like case studies. Do you fall into one of those categories this morning? Who are you? in those case studies today? Are you like the children running to Jesus with childlike faith? Are you like the rich young ruler who liked the idea of following Jesus but was not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Are you like James and John 
trying to manipulate Jesus to get the life that you want, to get everything the way that you kind of want it? Or are you seeking to say, I want to live like Jesus. I want to serve people. And there is a reality that we can't do that on our own. We can't just say, okay, I'm going to like grit my teeth and make a fist and work really hard to serve. Because what we need is a heart that's changed. But we look to Jesus as the, as the example. Jesus, the Son of God who came to serve us, to die on the cross, to give his life for us, that when we put our faith in him, we are brought out of our sin, we are made new, we are brought to life, we, we can be in relationship with God, and then we serve because Jesus has served us. We serve the people around us because our heart is changed. We can live like Jesus. We can live as a servant because Jesus has shown us the way to do that. And when Jesus changes our hearts, when Jesus brings us into relationship with God, we can then live as a servant, not having to manipulate, not having to say, I'm going to serve you if you serve me back. We say, Jesus has changed me. I'm good. Everything I have is built upon him as my rock, as my foundation. I can serve and give myself away because in Jesus there is an unending well of joy that he pours back into us as we pour ourselves out for the sake of other people, as we serve and love people. We're not able to do it on our own, but by the goodness of God, Jesus has done it for us. And as we read in this scripture this morning, Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And that reminder this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, to think back and remember what Jesus has done for you, that he has died to take your place, to remove your sin. And we come to him through faith and say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. In my sin and in my brokenness, you died so that I could be made whole, so that I could be in relationship with God. And maybe this morning, someone here needs to take a step to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I recognize that I'm sinful because our sin separates us from God. Our sin causes us to deserve judgment. But Jesus, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he gave his life as a ransom for you and I. That when we put our faith in him, he removes our sin, he makes us new, and he brings us into a right relationship with God. And maybe this morning you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. You may have questions about that. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you about that. Maybe this morning you need to say, I know there are people that I need to serve. I need to humble myself. Maybe there's somebody at work that has just been driving me nuts, and I need to, instead of fighting back against them, I need to pray and find ways to serve them. Maybe you need to take a step of faith to say, I'm going to serve this person even though it doesn't make sense. Maybe there's an area where you need to say, I have not been walking in childlike faith. I've been trying to fix it, figure it out, manipulate it. I've been trying to make it work, and I simply just need to release control of that and say, Jesus, I trust you. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us this morning as we begin to close and um, we're going to sing. Um, here in a few minutes, we're going to um, have a time of communion together. And so even now, as we begin to sing and we begin to think and reflect on the Word of God and what God is speaking, I challenge you to begin saying, God, would you show me in my heart where I need to take a step of faith? God, would you show me if there are things in my life that need to be confessed, if there are things I'm doing that are wrong? 
Because when we gather for communion, we, we, we look at the, the bread that represents the body of Jesus. We look at the juice that represents the blood that Jesus gave for us on the cross. These can be kind of weird things like, okay, bread and juice, and now we're talking about bodies and blood. and Yeah, it can be kind of odd. And yet it's a symbol, it's a reminder that Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus literally died on a cross to die for the sake of our sin. And when we gather for communion, we remind ourselves of what Jesus did. And Jesus said, every time when you do this, remember who I am and proclaim the death of Jesus all over again. It's like a fresh start. It's like coming back to say, in everything in life, I remember what Jesus had done, and I remember that my life is built upon him. So as we sing this, this song here, we'll take time just to reflect to allow God to to show us things in our lives. To ask yourself that question this morning, God, how do I need to respond to you? Is there a step of faith that I need to take? Maybe God is working in you this morning that you need to say, I need to put my trust in Jesus. So Dylan's going to be standing at the connect table there in the back. There's others in the room that if you'd like to pray with someone or you have questions or after church this morning, if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus and questions about faith, we would love to talk to those. If you just need to pray with someone, we would love to do that with you as well. Let's stand together this morning as we pray together and as we just continue in worship.